Hi, welcome to the Tanakh Talks podcast. We're back after a small hiatus, getting the school year set up. Baruch Hashem, things are going well. Hopefully the book will be out in November. For now, a quick thought before Rosh Hashanah. I'd like to talk about one of my favorite Baalei Tshuva in Tanakh, one of the great penitents, one of the great repentance in the Bible, one that most people don't know about, and for very good reason. Today we'll be talking about Nebuchadnezzar. Who you ask? Of course, you're not talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylonia, who managed to not only conquer the world, but destroy the temple, the first temple in 586, and exile the Jews from the land of Israel. You're not talking about Nebuchadnezzar, the one about whom the rabbis cannot say his name without saying Nebuchadnezzar Harashat. Nebuchadnezzar Harashat has almost become his family name. Like if you ask kids what, what is Moshe's family name, they'll tell you Moshe Rabbeinu, our teacher. Or you ask people about Avraham, they'll say Avraham Avinu, our father. Nebuchadnezzar is always called Nebuchadnezzar Harashat in Midrashic literature and rabbinic thought. And yet, interestingly enough, Daniel chapter 4 tells a story about him doing tshuva, about him repenting, his return, as it were, to God. It's one of the most fascinating stories, and that's what we're going to look at today. Of course, you can't begin in the middle of the story. We have to go back to Daniel 2 to appreciate what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and he dreams of four kingdoms. And this dream is one of the most fascinating dreams or visions that the Bible, the Tanakh, has. Nebuchadnezzar dreams of this large, large statue, a golden head, silver shoulders, a bronze or copper torso, and then eventually iron legs. And he calls upon his wise men, can you explain this for me? And they fail. And each wise man fails. As each wise man fails, he gets killed. This is a Donald Trump reality show, you're fired. Here, you're fired means you actually die. If you cannot interpret the king's dream, you die. And then, of course, brought before Nebuchadnezzar is Daniel. Daniel is one of the young Jewish boys who was brought from Yehuda, from Judea, in order to advise the king. And like Yosef, he prays to God and he says, Okay, tell me your dream. Nebuchadnezzar does so. And he tells him the dream and he tells him the following interpretation. There are four kingdoms. The gold kingdom, of course, is you. You are the head. You are the greatest of all that follows. But human nature is that kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. A gold kingdom will be replaced by a silver kingdom, which will be replaced by a bronze kingdom, which will be replaced by an iron kingdom. Ultimately, of course, at the end of the four kingdoms, God will reign over the world. May it come soon. Nebuchadnezzar rewards Daniel for being honest with him and giving him the interpretation. But then we go to chapter 3, and many people, people miss the connection between the two chapters. Chapter 3 tells the story about how Nebuchadnezzar, in fact, builds this large, large 60-cubit gold statue. Read in the context of chapter 2, what is Nebuchadnezzar doing here? Nebuchadnezzar is saying, Hey, I reject the dream and I reject the interpretation. I don't believe that kingdoms will be replaced. I believe that I will be the king, or at least my dynasty will stay forever. Gold statue, head to foot, from beginning onward. There will be no... History has ended, as we always like to say, you know, we said it 20 years ago when the Russian um, Empire fell, you know, now we're at the end of history, everybody's accepting liberal democracy, and of course, 20, 30 years later, we find out how interesting, if not um, unfortunate, you know, sadly, that has not come to pass, it's not the way human nature and human history works. Things come and things go, 
But Nebuchadnezzar, as it were, is standing against the crowd, and everybody has to bow down to this statue, i.e. bow down to this new vision. So chapter 3 describes how three brave Jewish youth, Hanani, Mishael, and Azariah, defied Nebuchadnezzar when everybody has to bow down to the statue. They refuse, so, they refuse to do so, and they get thrown into the fiery furnace and are saved, this being probably the source, according to Rav Meidan, of the famous legend about Avram being thrown into the fiery furnace, that this is why the Midrash is based on this story. Either way, Nebuchadnezzar appears to accept God in heaven, at least at the end of chapter 3. However, as the Abarbanel points out, at the beginning of chapter 4, the Jewish commentary of the Abarbanel points out, he said, listen, I'm going to try to override the heavenly decree. I don't believe that my kingdom has to come to an end. The Abarbanel writes, I, he thought he would erase the heavenly decree, referring to Nebuchadnezzar, and arrange the earthly empire so they would be humbled and slain before him and his seed forever. Due to this empty arrogance, his decree to be chased from human society, travel like a wild donkey among the beasts. Now, interesting, the chapter 4 begins in the last few verses of chapter 3 with Nebuchadnezzar the king sends a letter to all the nations and peoples and languages, and it describes how it seems good to him to say how great God is, which is really very interesting. It's not the sort of letter opening we would expect from a person of Nebuchadnezzar's ilk or his nature. How great are his signs, how many his wonders. I'm not going to try to read the Aramaic for now. He describes how he was in his rest in his house and in his palace, and he sees a dream which makes him afraid, and he has images. And once again, he brings in all the people of Babylon, all the wise men, and he tells them the dream, and they don't tell him um, what's going to happen. And this time, however, I suppose he doesn't, he doesn't threaten to kill them, which I suppose is probably more encouragement for them to try to get it right. As we saw last time around, if you failed to interpret the dream, you were killed. Then comes Daniel, who was called Belshazzar. But then comes Daniel in before him, and he says, Listen, I know God is in you, no secret causes you trouble. Please tell me what my dream was and what I saw. He describes how he sees a tree in the middle of the earth with great height. The tree grows, the tree is strong, the height goes to heaven, the and everybody can see everywhere. And it tree is just a beautiful tree, beautiful leaves, beautiful fruit, food for all, and all the beasts of the fields had shadow under, all the fowls of the earth dwelled in the heavens thereof, and all flesh was fed of it. This is Nebuchadnezzar's dream of his tree. And then all of a sudden comes down watchers, holy ones from heaven, and they say, cut down the tree, cut off its branches, shake its leaves, let the beast get away, but leave the stump in a band of iron and brass in the grass, and let it become wet, and let his portion be with the beasts of the grass. So he wanted to know what this dream was about, and any one of us could figure out what Nebuchadnezzar is seeing. He's envisioning himself, and how does he envision himself? He envisions himself quite seriously as the tree. He believes that he is the one who gives to everybody. His, his is a wonderful kingdom. He deserves to stay. Obviously, he's talking about himself, and yet Daniel refuses to tell him what this means, that you know he's going to be cut down and become an animal. This is a how does one manage to convince Nebuchadnezzar that this is what the dream is about? So it says that he was dumbfounded for one hour, his thoughts terrified, and the king has to reassure him, don't worry. And he responds, he says, listen, the dream is not for you, it's for those who hate you, it's for your enemies. And he says, this refers to you, O king. Ultimately, he tells him the truth, this dream is you, this tree is you. You've grown, become strong, your greatness is increased and reaches the heaven, and your dominion extends to the end of the earth. 
This is the interpretation of the watcher coming down to cut it down. You will be driven away from mankind. Your dwelling with beasts of field. Seven seasons will pass over you. Until you know that God is the one who rules over the kingdom of man. And he gives it to whom he wishes. And the stump that remains will be the kingdom will wait for you. And afterwards you will return to your throne as it were. Really this is not wisdom. But it is tremendous courage to tell him the truth. Okay. As Micha himself says. I'm filled with the power of the Spirit of the Lord, and I've got courage to tell Yaakov what's going wrong. A true prophet is cannot be a timid or bashful person. You have to be able to speak the colloquial phrase today is truth to power. This is perhaps the greatest example. But then Daniel does something interesting. He says, listen, this is the dream and this is the interpretation, but I've got a way out of this. Nebuchadnezzar is like, really, can you tell me about it? This, I think, perhaps is the most Jewish aspect of the story. It's the same way Yosef acts. All the, in the same way, if you think about the Yosef story, when jo- Joseph goes before Paro and Paro says, here's my dream, and he gets interpretations, the Midrash says that everybody had interpretations, but they were all fate, they were all fixed. Yosef's the one person who comes and says, your destiny is not written in the stars. You can choose to change it if you change yourself. And he says, listen, you've got, Joseph says to him, you've got a dream of a potential famine coming up, so take steps to to protect yourself. Take steps to feed the people. This is preventable. You can do things. Nothing is inevitable. The same thing Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar. Yes, you have a dream of you becoming an animal and losing your kingdom for a period of time, but, and I'm quoting verse 24 in chapter 4, that by counsel be accepted, you redeem your sins with charity and your transgressions through compassion to the poor, that your tranquility may be extended. In fact, Chazal actually and Baba Batra in the first chapter, they are not, they think that Daniel gets punished for it, either that he loses his position, eventually becomes a, according to one tradition, he becomes Esther's eunuch named Hatach, or that he will get thrown to the lion's den, because why is he trying to help this wicked king Nebuchadnezzar? avoid the punishment that really is due him. This is not a good person he's helping. But he tells him, listen, Tzedakah Tatsumimavit. Tzedakah always saves. This is what Daniel suggests to him, and we'll talk about this, why, how Tshuva works when we finish the story. Considering what happens next is really very fascinating. Nebuchadnezzar, he, after 12 months of giving Tzedakah, apparently, he walks on the palace, he's walking on the roof, and good things never to happen to kings when you're walking on the rooftop. That's one thing Tanakh is very clear about it. The Bible lets us know if a king's on a rooftop, it's never a good thing. Because he says, where place himself in the highest point possible, and you can only go down from there. Here, Nebuchadnezzar says, Is this the great Babylon which I built as royal residence? Might of my power and on my majesty? At which point, immediately, a voice from heaven comes down and says, To you, to spoken Nebuchadnezzar, the kingdom is depart from you. Be driven away from man, who be dwelling with the beasts of the field, and made to eat grass, and seven seasons will pass over until you know that Hashem rules in men. The Midrash in Tanchuma in Mishpatim tells the story as follows, that he tells a fascinating story. How did he manage to avoid punishment for 12 months? He followed Daniel's advice. He opened his treasure's house. He distributed money to the poor. After 12 months, he forgot his dream, and he hears the poor people knocking at the door, asking for handouts and help and assistance. And his servants tell him, you know, when he asks, what's that din below? What's that noise? What's that... Commotion. He says, well, it's time for you to give your charity. He says, what? I built this country. I should give charity. And he said, well, if not from a royal house, how can I build this kingdom? And therefore Hashem says, I gave you peace for 12 months because you gave charity. Once you've forgotten how to give charity, you'll get punished. 
And from the Midrash, it seems that what Daniel had advised, it could have, charity could have saved him indefinitely. Either way, Nebuchadnezzar goes for seven seasons as an animal, whatever that may mean. The Midrash gives all sorts of interesting interpretations about this part. Ibn Ezra, of course, says, do not think he became a beast, whether man or female, because it only says he dwelt with the beast, meaning he became, not, he became, as it were, crazy. He lost his knowledge because this is the do. Knowledge is what differentiates between man and beast. Yet the Ibn Ezra says, listen, I do have a friend over told me he once met a man on an island of Sardinia who had actually lived in isolation and had eventually became, as it were, deer-like from living with deer for so long and he would only be able to eat grass and not bread. How that's biologically possible because we can't break down cellulite is another discussion. So it may be depression, or it may be just as the Bible says clearly. Nebuchadnezzar was driven from man, he ate grass like oxen, his body was wet, his hair grew like eagle's feathers, and his nails like bird claws, meaning he's become animal-like. Rav Medan suggests if you look carefully at his behavior, the way the rabbis describe his behavior, perhaps this is what it's meant to say. That Nebuchadnezzar was caught by Tzidkiyahu, the king, according to one version of the Medrash, eating live rabbits, or um, just... We even just drooling saliva when he would eat, he didn't eat like a person. He lost everything that was human about him. What's interesting on a historical level as well, that some academic scholars suggest that Shimerit, who is Nebuchadnezzar's wife, actually deposes him and sends, puts him to jail for seven years. Chazal, in fact, lists Shimerit as one of the four women who assume power in the world, and she reigns for Ibu Mardok. If you look at the Babylonian records, there's not many records of Nebuchadnezzar. Okay, it appears that his name's been erased as from their chronicles in many, many places. When Nebuchadnezzar regains the throne, he has Evil Marduk, his son, put into jail for daring to assume the throne in his absence. And when Evil Marduk comes to power, the Midrash in Tanchuma says something really fascinating. He says that the people ask, do you wish to assume power? And, you know, do you want, your father's dead, do you want to rule? He says, I'm not going through this again. Last time they told me he was dead, I ruled, he came back to life, show me that he's dead, so they bring the body, he says, that's not good enough, I want you to chop it up, and only until they've chopped and minced up Nebuchadnezzar's body does the evil and Marduk agree to achieve the crown. But I'd like to look at perhaps the central point here, which is the question of how does charity save people from a decree? The Midrash is very instructive, we don't see that Nebuchadnezzar has undergone really a personality change. He's still arrogant, he still thinks he's the center of the world, this is true in all of his dreams, in his attempts to, as it were, set himself up above God and above heaven. So what is the charity doing? I think that the best way to look at it is to look at it, imagine a person who's got some medical condition, let's say onset type 2 diabetes, and the doctors tell him, you have two choices. You can either change your diet, lose your weight, stop eating carbohydrates, do everything healthy, or you can take this pill, and this pill can hold off the effects of the disease, the condition that you have. As long as he takes the pill, he, this person may feel, okay, I'm fine. The moment he stops taking the pills, the moment that the condition reappears with a vengeance, it gets much worse. Or, of course, you can always do what the doctor recommended in the first place, which is to change your ways completely. The same way that you to lose weight, and then you can prevent the disease from actually happening. What Sadaka does is, I think... On one hand, it does remove a sense of arrogance because it makes you outer-directed. What it does is it evens the scales, but it doesn't remove the negatives. Tzedaka says, the charity, that you, the charity that you give is a great thing. Taking care of God's creatures, for that you to re receive tremendous merit, no matter what else you do. 
and God will always and that will always be protective. If it's not accompanied, however, with real change, tzedakah can delay, it can push off punishment, but it can't prevent it entirely. The same way that people who take medicines but don't make lifestyle changes um, will ultimately see their physical body decay, so to giving charity without internalizing what it's about and understanding what proper ethical and moral behavior is, that charity will ultimately be ineffective. And it's these thoughts I want to, I'm taking with from these stories specifically for Rosh Hashanah. Nebuchadnezzar does perform a level of tshuva. He does perform a level of repentance. And he, in fact, at the end of the story, he does acknowledge God as above one among high. And this is the last we will see of Nebuchadnezzar in the Bible. But this story tells us what it means to do repentance. There are different levels of repentance. You can do charity. It can protect you. But ultimately, the arrogant will be cut down. Nebuchadnezzar will not be able to extend his rule indefinitely. Hashem will rule. Then this is the message of Daniel. And I think, of course, on Rosh Hashanah, on a day when we are coronating God as king, Hashem Alech, Hashem Alech, Hashem Yimloch Lamved, this message is so important for us to have. Let's be privileged to not only accept God as king this year, the chauffeur blows, should announce the coming of the king, that we accept upon ourselves, but also use this opportunity to make real and meaningful changes in our lives, and not superficial ones, and to be as good a person as we can be, both towards ourselves and to others, and ultimately to the world. Shana Tova.